Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. It was because of a teacher that I do the job I do. Let your children play to their strengths. Boys' education was put before girls' education within my family. In fact, boys were put before girls, full stop. I had a very, very clear view of what I wanted to do, and I wasn't going to let anybody stop me. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore ideas, teachings, and thoughts on empowering young girls and celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor. I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions of girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for vulnerable young girls, signifies. Many of you will know my very special guest today from all the tremendous laughs and sometimes cries she has so effortlessly provided many of us, especially those listeners in the UK, over the years while watching her on screen in the multiple award-winning best comedy drama series, Cold Feet, gaining much prestige for her phenomenal work and a BAFTA nomination for Best Actress. This is among many other great works of drama and comedy over her career, on stage and for television. Others might recognize and be most familiar with her for her famously delicious meals, presented in not one, but three very practical and easy to follow cookbooks, winning her wide praise. And even more of us with younger kids are perhaps indebted to her for being the captivating voice behind the lead character in the well-known children's series, Meg and Mog. I, for one, have been fortunate enough to reap the benefits of my very talented guest in all of these categories. But lucky for me, personally also, as a fellow mum, sharing laughs and insights over our children. She is the loveliest, most brilliant, seriously entertaining, funny woman with also a very compassionate heart. She is the one, the only Faye Ripley. A very, very warm welcome to you. I was worried that you were going to say a different person's name. Like you were going to say Olivia Coleman. And I was going to go, oh, no, I'm Faye. Sorry. Uh, you've got Faye. It's definitely Faye. There is only one Faye. Great. So, you know, I feel very privileged to talk to you and talk in the capacity as a mum and everything else. You know, we'll just chat honestly. I'm not sure. I can only talk from a personal point of view about any of this, but I think part of the Elevate journey is to gain as many stories as we can. And of course, each one will be personal. I think if there are things that resonate for other mums, it might be helpful to get as many stories and share as much as we can. So thank you for joining me today. How is the family? With You've got two young teens at home. We've had a recent pandemic and the UK is still sort of in the, I would say, the height of it. How are you all coping? How is the homeschooling going and how are the children? Well, uh, because I've got a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old, homeschooling is really out of my hands other than me screaming at the top of my voice, put your phone down! That's the kind of homeschooling bit that I do, which is just about the phone. It's, I think, for a lot of people, it's a similar story where we've sort of come together and it's been absolutely amazing. We have a garden, we're lucky enough to be in it. 
but it's a roller coaster. You know, my husband and I were both actors. We know basically for the rest of the world, it's a shock to have to potter and wait for the phone to ring and see how the rhododendrons are going. That's been our life for years, okay? <laughs> We've been in lockdown for years. However, the bit that's different is our teenagers and the fear and the anxiety and education, you know, in lockdown and, you know, how do you exercise them? How do you get their mental health on, on track? All of that's the new bit. So, yeah, my husband and I, were sort of playing out some kind of weird early retirement, enforced early retirement. But, but I, I don't know. We're making it up as we go along. And the, the situation is changing all the time in the UK. Not for the better here at the moment. And I don't know how long they'll stay in school, how long they'll be allowed to stay in school and stuff. But what I've got is two kids at two different points in the senior school system. Let's talk about your children's journey. As a parent, we've always wanted to look at each of our children's journeys and treat each child as an individual. It's not always easy. I think you've been a great example of that, as both of your children have had unique paths to take. Please tell me about that. Well, basically, both of my children sort of, although different, you know, four years between them, were set on a path of going into a privileged private school where they would both were both doing pretty well in their own way. But my eldest child, her journey started to sort of take a different path to the youngest ones. The youngest one at the moment is fairly straightforward. He's settled in his school and he has always found his place, found his voice academically and everything else. But for my daughter, it has been much more of a roller coaster for her. It hasn't been straightforward for her. She is now 17 and describes all of her school years as the unhappiest years of her life. She is a very happy kid. She's a very happy teenager. She's not, she does have quite a lot of anxiety, but it's not, it's manifesting itself in different ways, but nothing, you know, vaguely managing to sort of continue to communicate with her about that. But in terms of her schooling, she went, she's been to what I would say, she's now at her fourth school for her sixth form. I feel I should start my own consultation service to, to basically talk through all you know schools in the north of London. But the reason we were never moving her because there was never a fire, mm. let me say. There was never, the house is burning down, get out of the house. There was never that at any of the schools. Right. It was clear that something wasn't working for this kid. Mm. And it was quite interesting to have another kid where everything was just working fine. So it was a quite a stark difference, I would say. The I'm sort of still quite shocked when I hear my daughter say, and I say, but I remember you having happy times. And she says, no. I may have appeared to be happy. I was never happy. Oh, she is now happy, I have okay. to say. Okay. So we have found a school and an education that is relating to her personality, finally. Interesting. And was it, was it a change in her development or do you think her learning style was finally understood or seen? Um, 
well, sadly, she got a diagnosis, a, a dyslexia diagnosis, a week before her exams uh, when she was 16. God. So it was too late. So she had been to three of the best schools in North London and nobody had spotted that there was a problem because she's a happy kid who appears to be doing really well right. as well. She wasn't doing particularly badly academically. She was sort of some subject she was really struggling with, but she got classified as lazy. She got mainly lazy. That was the mainly that, oh, she doesn't concentrate. She's not, she's not got any, um, she's not, you know, she's not focused. What's wrong with her? By the way, these were some of the things I was also saying, you know, you get into a bubble of finding answers for yourself as a parent, as much as it's not all the school. Like I'm doing that at home with the homework going, why aren't you concentrating? What's wrong with you? Mm. You're perfectly capable of doing this. Mm. I know that I can see that you're smart. Like, yeah, let's just come on, let's do it. Anyway, the late diagnosis was such a hugely big deal to her. I wish it, obviously we all wish it had come earlier. She was at, at that point, she was in the state system in a very highly regarded state school and it, she was entirely unsupported at that point. She was left to her own devices, but at least we had some kind of idea that she was, that you had to put a blue overlay on her work. For instance, that helped her focus on what was on the page, who knew? And that she should have been allowed to sit near the, the, the board because the stuff moves around unless you're close to the board. Now, a lot of her teachers knew that and still put her at the back of the class because she still is a kid that you don't want at the front of the class because she needs a lot of attention. So it's at that cycle where, I, I don't know, I don't know what happened there yeah. with that. Anyway. Yeah, you're almost compounding the problem, aren't you, by the chicken and egg thing. You don't know which way to go. And even as a parent, like you say, you, you're not sure what's going on. And if nothing's been said to you, you are going to be pushing her, pushing her in, in, in probably in direction that she wasn't ready to go because she didn't have the right tools to support yeah. her. What I think that, that what we did do as parents, one of the reasons we moved her three times was because I was aware that it wasn't right. I did know. And so we did, we, she was a kid who liked change. And so she would, there would be a renewed energy when she went to the next school and go, okay, this is it. This is going to be the answer. You know, this is going to be, oh, a whole new world will open up to you. Don't worry. And then when it doesn't, because at that point we didn't know she's dyslexic, then it becomes its own disappointment and stuff. The reason she's happy now, the truth is because we have dropped, even she, by the way, she got uh, a lot of A stars without any help, without anything for, from anyone. But we have had to hear that, know that, pat her on the back and then allow her to do a purely practical course, no A levels. She will never have to sit another exam again. Aww. So she's doing a drama, a UCL, it's a drama course. You can get into university, but she probably won't apply for university. She will probably want to go on to do something in the, in the arts, in media. And I, in some ways, I'm telling you from the heart, that's not what my plan was yeah. for her. Yeah. I have had to reinvent that based on the child. Mm. And now she 
is on the path to a future that looks like it will belong to her. The, the version I had for her, I don't think would ever have belonged to her. It was just what I had in mind. I think that I thought that's what you do, you know. And I could have made her do A-levels. I mean, they do them at the school. But she said to us, she said, I don't want to put pen to paper ever again. Bless her. Was that a big leap to take, to be able to understand that the hopes and dreams that you had for her were yours, not hers, and that she's now voicing and obviously almost championing a cause for herself that clearly suits her and, and, and she probably will flourish in it? I mean, I think it's hard. It's The thing is, we don't know what's going to happen in the future because if she chose to be, I don't know, something else, something other than she's she wants to be an actress. It's what I do. I can't really, I haven't really got a leg to stand on, let's be absolutely honest. <laughs> um, mm. uh, like yeah. doctors and you can't be a doctor <laughs> don't be ridiculous I sort of wanted her to explore something other than what I do but I also don't blame her for wanting to do what I do and I don't know about you know I think I'm sort of my sister I, I have an example in my sister I've got a much younger sister she's 12 years younger than me and she left school she was in private education. She left school. She didn't take a single exam. She walked out at 15, never went back. She then proceeded to have a child as a single mom, get many tattoos, be many, many piercings have happened to my sister. <laughs> and to be generally a bit of a worry for a lot of the family. But at 28 or 29, my sister applied to take her GCSEs as a single mom with a baby. She not only took her GCSEs, in the same year she took her A-levels. She, I mean, nobody asked her to. Nobody, this was her particular journey. She did it in her own time. She then took a degree whilst working with her baby from home. And she got a first and, at the, and now runs her own business. And, you know, she... The point being that I understand life is, it will go in many directions. There are many versions of success. Some people will see me as a success. My father would not have classified me as successful, I would say. Mm. You know, it's all, well, how do you define it? Yeah. For us in our family, happy comes pretty high. Wow, wow, that's an incredible message, isn't it? What a wonderful one. Um, my son's school's motto is redefining success. And I think you've just touched on that. And I, I almost chose the school for him based on that motto because I just thought I love the fact that they want success to look like what it needs to for you as a family, for you as an individual, for you as a child, um, and each of you sort of pursuing that angle. And I think for your sister, um, what an incredibly rewarding story what a wonderful inspiration that it doesn't have to be 16 18 22 25 I mean I, all of these numbers were put into our brains from where I, I don't know why society's put that kind of pressure on us I don't think girls particularly need it but I, you've touched on something which is interesting I I would have assumed that given that you and your husband are both creatives both both in the sort of acting field and in, yes, I would define you as a successful pair of actors, um, that your understanding of a child wanting to pursue creative study and art, something that is, you know, valued, something that you see as a real important sort of subject and skill to, to further yourself in, because it's an art and it takes a lot of rigor, really. Uh, we, you, I, you can appreciate how hard you work. 
But for a lot of families, art and drama and other sort of artsy subjects are sort of seen as hobbies, not careers. And the emphasis on English and maths and science and history is just so much greater. The grades for those, you know, on the report card are seen first before things in music and art are seen. I I would say for Indian parents, I think it's definitely true for Asian families as well. That's not seen as important, really. What you need to be able to do is to get great grades in maths and science and English. So a lot of money gets put into tuition. I have a flippant thought, which is I probably get paid more than a scientist. But hey, guys, let's be, you know, I mean, we can always write off actors as poor actors, but I live in a big house. But no, that is, and I'm completely self-made, I have to say. But having said that, I don't think any parent, if they were to take a sort of a deep breath, know every, we want to play to our children's strengths. We want to play to our own strengths. Though That would apply to yourself as much as your children. If there is something in your child where they want to draw or sing or dance or speak beautiful verse or stand on a stage and express themselves through whatever it is, if that is their strength, one, it may be the root to something more conventional eventually. Like, you know, sometimes you have to take the core cut out of the bottle. I don't know that my daughter will become an actress. I won't put her in that box because she wants to go to drama school. Let's see. Who knew I was going to write cookbooks? I haven't been taught to cook, by the way. So I think especially for women, we have, there has been, and even though for this generation it's less so, we're, for us it wasn't, and we're bringing them up. So this thing of boxing women into roles, I personally feel very strongly that I want for myself, for my daughter, for, for my children, to, to not be too defined by anything. It's like, let, let your children play to their strengths. I don't have any scientists in my family, mm. but wouldn't it be odd if I wouldn't let my children become a scientist? Like if they were really, I mean, my son is amazing mm. at science. It would be really strange because it's not in my world yeah. to say, no, 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 no. That's not, no, you're not doing that, love. Get yourself some jazz shoes you're getting on the stage. And my son would say, no, I'm not interested in jazz. You're listening to the Elevate podcast. Conversations with me, Ramita Anand, where we share stories and exchange ideas on how we can lift our girls. My father did not encourage me to go into the arts. I did it regardless, but that relied on me having a very strong will. Not all children do. I had a very, very clear view of what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to let anybody stop me. But I think some children need a bit more support with that. I would agree. It's not as clear, is it? If you want your kids to, to, to because you ran a race, and you always won. My husband runs, you know, whatever. He, he, he's, he's a, he was a good athlete at school. I mean, God forbid if he was waiting for one of my children to win a race. That would never happen. No, we've, we've not made robots. We've made individuals. And one day we won't be here anymore. And they will be there in the world being themselves without us. So we have to arm them with what they're best at, surely. Yeah, and allow them to have the wings, you know, to, to fly with the, with whatever wings we've nurtured with them. Yeah, I think that's a... Yeah, and sometimes, you know, in a restaurant, sometimes you have to try the dish that you've never tried before. Like, 
you know, that's what schools have to do. Put, put it all on the menu and see what people take to. And I think the thing about coming back to at a later age is also is a, is like an interesting thing. You know, you, you may not have loved cooking and nobody would have thought you might write a cookbook one day, but develop that passion and you've made it a huge success. I think we need to remind children that life doesn't stop at 18 or 22. There's, there's a, an immense amount of anxiety around exam pressures and, and universities and colleges. And I think the fact that your daughter's taken such a strong stance about not applying to university for now anyway is an interesting one. Do you think her self-esteem has suffered at all over the, over the years? And if so, how has that kind of manifested itself? Her self-esteem was so terrible. It's so sad, really, because when she talks about all those years that... As a family, we all were there with her. And of course, we were always telling her she was amazing and how brilliant she was. Well, I don't think I was telling her she was amazing at maths, actually. I think I was telling her she was terrible at maths. Please do your maths homework. Mm -hmm. but, but we didn't know. No, she talks about it and she says that she was made to feel stupid. That I mean, she was predicted very, very, very low grades by her school. I mean, thank goodness she wasn't in this run of kids that got their predicted grades, because even though she got the A stars, she was predicted way, 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 way lower. Even in her strong, even in drama, she got a nine in drama and she was predicted, and she's dyslexic, she got, she got eights in her English literature and her English language, and she hadn't, she'd only just got her blue card, you know. She was, she was predicted a five, I think, by all of her teachers for all of those things because they weren't identifying her strengths. And who is this kid? And she did not speak in... She's very flamboyant, you know. She's the sort of, you know, she's, she never stops talking. In the classroom, all of her reports said, must uh, contribute more. Uh, she's not speaking. She must contribute more. Because when she said something, because her thoughts got very mixed up, she would be laughed at. Her The other pupils would often laugh at something she said. That then became a part of her personality because she's the one that makes us laugh because she says something stupid. And that's quite addictive. Do you see what I mean? In a good way as well. Like, I'm, I do that. I think, I, I think I'm undiagnosed dyslexic, possibly. And you sort of go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm being funny now because I'm saying something silly. And you kind of go with that. It's a kind of part of your coping. You're the clown... But inside, you go, I wish I had actually said the right answer. I sort of know what the answer was. I just couldn't sort of say it. But as a positive, because she's now in an environment where she's flourishing, she is, you know, her confidence has gone up. She can now talk about her past as not being diagnosed with dyslexia. And so she can explain it. It was unexplained before. Yeah. And now she can explain it. There's a sense of relief in having the diagnosis that probably wasn't there because she now knows that there's a reason that she was struggling to get the thoughts out yes. the way that she wanted to get her thoughts out. Yes. I mean, the anger that she has is from the lack of support from the adults around her, some towards us as yeah. parents, but mainly towards her teachers and 
the people at her schools, I have to say. And the sort of feeling of being let down. Totally understandable. And that's part of the reason I'm championing my kind of cause with Elevate is to try and educate and make parents and teachers and adults and therapists more aware of how much our children are suffering and how sometimes we don't see the signs because we're so bogged down with stereotypical views of what a dyslexic child looks like or what a um, attention deficit child looks like. There can be so many other sort of clues. I think we're still, we're, we're doing, I think things are getting better, but we're not quite there yet. I think there still needs to be a lot of work um, for for that. And I think the knock-on effect, which is why I asked about the self-esteem on her social engagements, her friendships. I don't know how you felt that, but how was it for her even in the home with her sibling who wasn't clearly having the same difficulties? That affect their relationship at all? Or was, was there any sort of resentment about that he, things came naturally a bit easier for your son? It, it's an ongoing issue. I would say she's now back in the private system, but for a long time, her younger sibling was sailing through private school and we'd taken her out of the private system and and put her into a state school. The reason we did that was because we felt it was the right school for her. It it wouldn't have mattered. It wasn't about who was paying for who, Mm -hmm. but I was aware and I am aware that I think had she not gone back into the private system again, she might've thought, why is my family financially supporting one child more than the other? And, um, and also because she's, uh, I was very super aware because of my own past with my own family where boys' education was put before girls' education within my family. In fact, boys were put before girls full stop. So I never wanted it to feel, but I also didn't want to say, just stay in these schools that aren't right for you. There was an amazing drama department in that particular school and that's why I sent her there. That was basically what it was. She got a scholarship for that that particular state school. Anyway, it's, it's not about who's paying for what and everything, but I was aware that that was potentially setting something up between a brother and sister. It's difficult. I think it is difficult for her because her her brother is referred to as the smart one mm. a lot of the time. Not not by us, but sometimes by grandparents or sometimes by subliminally by friends where they'll say, "Oh well, he's doing very well, isn't he?" And how's the drama going? And there's a sense of sort of like, "Oh, this, you know." It's the frivolous thing you do, whereas the important, and he'll be, oh, he'll just be a prime minister, won't he? You know, and we try and counterbalance that. It's slightly easier in our family because she's going into the family business. So it's sort of, I think that she gets enough status from who we are, our friends are, the people she sees around. And the models of success that she sees, a lot of them are in the media. So those are the people she knows, her godparents, you know, our friends you know just because that's who we know yeah and that must make a really nice infrastructure like a little network for her to feel secure in it must make it possible whereas if everybody was i don't know but in banking use that example but if if the whole if mum and dad were both in banking perhaps it would be well, in my own example, I was the only person to come out of uh, suburbia where I was in this sort of middle-class suburbia. Nobody I knew was an actor. It was an unknown quantity. It was because of a teacher. 
that I do the job I do. 100%. I was not encouraged, but I had two brilliant, brilliant teachers. And I always say that of, of why I, I chose to do this is that, um, honestly, my drama teacher was the only one that said I was any good at it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll do that then. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It always comes down to a very, very good teacher. That's a good plug for teachers. I think that it's an important role, isn't it? How we send messages to our students is is so important. We we always remember those comments to our, you know, into our older years. I, I watched an interview recently on David Letterman with Jay-Z. I don't know if you've seen that one. My next guess is. Oh yeah, no. Do you see? So Jay-Z, it talks about his horrible experiences with growing up with a dad who was, you know, sort of dragged out of bed at night by the cops and taken out by gangsters for fights and all sorts of things. His dad always had a gun underneath his mattress. This is how he grew up. And when David Letterman asks him, so how, how did you escape that life? Like, how did you decide that you weren't going to follow your dad's footsteps? He pulls out a photograph of his grade six teacher and says, she said I could write well. And I knew oh, I was going to use my writing as my superpower. And it just breaks my heart to think that it was one teacher. And he said, I don't know if my teacher knows that. I don't know if she'll ever know that. But I owe my life to my teacher. I think you have to, as a parent, really hear that on a quite a deep level because I am finding, as my children grow up, they want less and less of me. Therefore, when they leave your house to get on the bus to go to school, and when they're at the stages my children 13 and 17 are, they don't want to hear my voice really at all, to be honest, like enough already. And the teachers, what the te one sentence from whoever's facing them in the morning is going to mean a lot more to them than the constant talking from the mother. It comes radio noise, doesn't it, in the background? Yeah, and I, I know that I've done you know, a pretty good job so far. There's been holes in some of my parenting for sure. But I am also aware that if I do my job at this point, it will be for those voices, teachers, and then eventually employers and boyfriends and girlfriends and mates and peers, all of those voices will play such an important part and mine less so here on yeah. in. Having said that, part, you know, your daughter is very lucky to have you as a mum and a role model because... I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> she is, she is. I think a lot of young teen girls would give up a lot of things to try and have a mum that could be as understanding and as empathetic to the, the challenges they might be facing. I think... Uh, I don't think my daughter will acknowledge that for a few years, but anyway, <laughs> maybe I'll play back to her one day. Oh, well, from where I'm sitting, yes, we will play this back to her and she, she will, she will. I think the other, we've touched on a lot of things I wanted to talk to you about um, in terms of raising girls uh, and those that might have a different learning style. I suppose my, my next one is more of one I, I sort of worry more and more as a, as a mum myself, is that of social media. And I know there's so much research out there and I know there's so many things sort of bombard you with the goods and the bads. And I think there are lots and lots of benefits. I'm not anti the world of technology. I think we couldn't have coped in this recent pandemic if technology wasn't where it was. But in a young teen girl's mind, what are your views on when self-esteem or mental health might be even slightly more fragile uh, than other times in their development? What would you feel, and, I, and of course this is a very personal opinion and you, you, you know, you're very welcome to just not share your views, but I wondered what you or how you navigate that 
social media pressure on children and being engaged online and chatting? Look, it's one of the areas where I've done not so well. I've tried. I worry about it. I lay awake at night worrying about it. You know, we're all working out as we go along. It's it's snowballing. Gosh, how for how it jumps from year to year with your children as well, where you had one rule for your firstborn and the next one comes out and the older one rightly says, I cannot believe you've let them have a phone already or whatever. And I go, yeah, but it was different when we first got the phones. And Anyway, we've always had no screens in bedrooms, children and adults. So there's no TV, no laptops, no phones. However, uh, we still have that. Our internet gets cut off, a timer. But with every technology as it is, you just go on 4G. You can just, you can get around all these things, by the way. You have this smart idea of what you can do. I'm aware that my husband and I are on it too much. We do constantly try not to. Mm. Uh, We are aware of it. But now my daughter is 17, nearly 18. Soon I won't have the right and she fights it. It's how we, it was most of our arguments are about, please do not take your phone to bed. Don't take the laptop. I just, she actually, she borrows my laptop. I haven't even bought her a laptop, but she will by hook or by crook. Both of them have found burner phones under the, I've found burner phones. I find it very difficult. I've just watched the show on Netflix, The uh, Social Dilemma. I really would uh, advise everybody to watch. It's a battle and it's a battle I feel I'm losing. Mm-hmm. And I know, and we talk very, very openly, probably too much with our kids. And when their mood slips, particularly my husband, he will say, guys, listen, you're, have, you're panicking or you're anxious or you're not feel, feeling yourself because you spent too much time on the screen. You know, it's late, you're tired, you've got a headache from it. You know, whatever it is, with with the girls, I find it sometimes different. The boys, they, they t- tend to do a lot of gaming. And there's a lot of aggression around that. And then you can sort of see that with the with the girls, there's there seems to be a lot of unkindness that comes off it with gossip and rumours. And it's so hard. I, I don't... I haven't worked it out. We're constantly reassessing. We do our absolute best to try and no one's ever allowed on their phone when we eat. We all eat together as a family. I feel it's one of the hardest things as a parent to get on. I feel like, isn't it hard enough? Yeah. I'm having to deal with this as well. It's really, really, really tough. Yeah. And also I have to be really strict with myself because the easiest thing in the world would be for me to relax when I go to bed on my phone. But I have to show my kids how to make, I'm the scaffolding, right? Look, look at me doing what I'm asking you to do. It's only fair. Absolute brilliant role modeling. I think lots of parents could take a bit of advice from your household. I think it's, it's a tough one. We, we are having the same battles in our home. And I think I have to say, I, I make all the rules and then, I don't know, it sort of slips and I, so I find myself six, six or seven weeks into this rule and there's an iPad upstairs and I'm thinking, where did this little thing come from? You know, and they're, they're quite clever. You're right. They're very, very clever about it. And Because it's a drug and it's addictive and we know that. And I think it's really important that, you know, we have to see that all the heads in technology, all the big cats in technology 
don't let their own children have any of it. That was one of that and, and the bit on girls in that I watched the same documentary two nights ago about the, the, that sort of eye-opening moment when every single one of them says, no, our children don't have phones, our children don't. I just thought, wow, yeah. isn't that um, seriously uh, an eye-opener? If that isn't, I don't know what is, but I've always felt a sense of a sort of um, admiration for, for the way you've, you've, I know you say you're self-made and that in itself makes me really applaud you um but also seeing you as a mum and as a role model for young girls I think you've just really really do you do so much in the community as well but you also live by the the same beliefs that you 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 sort of talk about so I think that's impressive it's not an easy thing very sweet I don't live by the rules when it comes to rosé Unfortunately. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think your teens need to know what the limit okay. rosé is at That's the moment. <laughs> that can be our little secret, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, Faye, you are just a dream. Thank you so, so much for, for doing this with me. Thank you, a million. Thank you. And I, I you know, I, I'm excited that, um, that you and hopefully others are starting to think in a different way about how we approach you know girls educations I think it's it's sort of I do think this is a conversation that needs to be had and um the more people that are having it the better so I'm glad that we could chat about it a bit thank you I I really do uh, appreciate your time I know you're a very busy woman is there something exciting on for dinner tonight what's for dinner I'm going to use your own line (laughs) There's me saying that the world has moved on for women and that this is great. Do you know what I'm doing tonight? Cleaning. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I thought, I, 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 in lockdown, I got rid of my clean. I got rid of, I, I pay, I'm still paying my cleaner to be away. They're shielding. Um, I've got golf elbow from cleaning so much. And, I'm, and now I'm like an obsessive cleaner with golf elbow. That's what I'm doing tonight. Um, I'm going to have to rustle up something for dinner. Um, what will it be? It'll probably be something. No doubt you'll rustle something up that we wouldn't be able to do. As, uh, I think fish fingers and chips out of a freezer is what I would have rustled up. I love the fact that you have these incredible, easy recipes, um, which I love, by the way. I do love your cookbooks. Right. I, I didn't bring many from London to, to when we moved because they're, I don't know, the weight allowance wasn't great but yours were in our boxes great we love it <laughs> oh, you think for noodles tonight in yeah. your honor. yes, yes. will you send me a photo will you send yes. me a photo <laughs> oh I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that I, I i would love to have a, a little snapshot of what i could have had i think yeah. one day one day i will i will make my way into your house for a lovely what's for dinner meal because I uh, Um, thank you my love and um good luck with everything such a refreshing conversation i've always enjoyed having a chat with Faye. hopefully it will help and resonate with other parents too i would love to say a big thank you to my sound engineer duncan mcpherson a big shout out of thanks to him for helping me put the podcast together and bringing it to all of you I would also like to thank all of you for your time and listening, allowing me to share my ideas with you. If you would kindly do the same and share with your friends and your family by rating and reviewing the podcast and spreading awareness with as many people as we can, I'd be so hugely grateful. Look forward to chatting again soon. Until then, goodbye.